Welcome to the latest episode of High Stakes. I'm Paige Soya, the Managing Director of K Street Capital. And today's episode is going to be about venture capital funding in 2023. Who, when, where, how to do it, should you even do it, and um, should you do it from venture capital? Because there's a lot of other funding sources out there besides venture money uh, worth considering. And we have two great people on this episode who are the perfect people to talk about this. So we have Jignesh, who's one of our uh, the CEO founder of one of our portfolio companies that exited last year. And we have Manoj, who's one of our investors, who, who is also the CEO founder of one of our portfolio companies now, and has been through multiple exits, multiple funding rounds throughout different times in history. So we have some interesting uh, discussion here. But before we get started, I guess we'll do some introductions. And Jignesh, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So thanks for having me here, Paige. It's great to be here with you, Manoj. Uh, so I'm Jignesh Shah, uh, founder and CEO of Ribbon. Uh, prior to Ribbon, I was the chief product officer and uh, chief marketing officer for a PE-backed company called Metalogics. So I've been in and around sort of PE and venture capital for some time now. Uh, at Ribbon, we pioneered the SaaS model for integrating digital rewards like gift cards into business workflows. You know, popular examples, think automation of rewards for surveys or for customer referrals or employee appreciation. Um, and it was, a, it was a pretty good ride. To, to kind of give you a sense of our journey, um, you know, we bootstrap ribbon for about three years. We raised a seed round, and that was when K Street, along with CIT, Ding Men and others participated in that seed round. And we successfully exited the business uh, in late 2021. So that's my journey, and you know, I'm sure we'll dive into it a little bit more for the rest of the podcast. Definitely will. Thanks for being here, Jignesh. And Manoj? Yeah, thanks, thanks Paige. Um, thanks for having us here. And uh, Jignesh, congratulations, man. Uh, quite, quite the journey, right? Um, very few entrepreneurs go from seed to exit right in the short period of time. So congratulations to you and your team. Um, you know, a bit about myself, uh, Manoj Amnani, uh, founder and CEO of Sales Intel. Um, we provide a go-to-market intelligence platform for sales, marketing, and revenue organizations. Um, you know, we are bootstrapped for first three years, and then um, Angel Investment, K Street was one of the um, uh, investors. And then we raised a you know, slightly larger round with the friends and family. Um, you know, the company has been growing um, consistently for the last four and a half years or so. We're coming up to about fifth year here. Um, a zero to 20 million in ARR journey. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, but uh, uh, not without the challenges. Um, prior to that, you know, I've had uh, uh, three companies um, in federal consulting, um, education, and in the in the consumer space with various degrees of uh, successes. My first company was bootstrapped. Um, my second company, we had you know angel investment, and third company, um, we raised about $30 million um, and you know, as I said, various degrees of uh, exit and successes, which we'll, which we'll talk about. Great, thanks Manoj. So I guess I wanna kick it off by just talking about what we're seeing in the market right now. So I'm sure you guys are hearing about it or you're seeing it when you're investing, but feel free to chime in if you've seen or heard anything different. And we're seeing a lot of rounds with, um, you know, obviously lower valuations in cases where the valuation hasn't been lowered, it might be a flat round, but we're seeing basically higher lick prefs on those types of deals to make up for the fact they're not changing the valuation. 
obviously we're seeing higher discounts, higher interest on, on deals that are structured like a safe or a convertible note. And I say higher, meaning all of these things I'm saying are relative to the past five years, let's just say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and we're also seeing a lot of, you know, I think companies that have less than a million in revenue, let's say early stage, seed stage companies, they, they're, being, they're being valued more on what their traction has been to date than, um, you know, than, than like multiples that were traditionally used in the past for them. So, so that's kind of where things stand today. I don't know, Manoj, uh, Jignesh, if, you're, if you have anything to add there. Yeah, yeah I think market is correcting itself. Um, you know, what we saw in 2020, 2021 um, was just um, not sustainable, right? Where companies were trading at, uh, uh, in a public market, you know, huge multiples, right? 15, 20, 25. Uh, in our space, we saw one of our, our uh, competitor trading at almost 30x multiple on ARR. Just uh, crazy. And, and today they're trading at 9x, right? Which is which is a right, right multiple. So... Um, we all knew that uh, you know those uh, valuations were not sustainable, right? Um, but uh, you, know, you party till it lasts, right? and uh, now we are just you know seeing the normal uh, normalcy come back. Um, and, and depending upon the size of the company and the stage of the investment, you know you see different dynamics. Uh, PE groups they are still investing; they are paying the the so-called premium, right? Uh, for the right assets, assets that are cash flowing, assets that are growing um, with a solid team, solid business model, um, whereas um, companies that are not growing that fast, um, founders are are you know holding on to them as long as they are cash flow positive. You know, so that's a dynamics that I'm seeing on the PE side. Um, on the venture world, if your company's cash flow uh, negative and burning, you know, good luck. It's hard to um, raise a raise around without um, you know going to a down round or agreeing to some of the egregious terms. Um, and as far as um, the angel investment, I think people are still investing um, at a slower pace than they used to um, at, the, at the lower valuations. But people are still investing. Uh, we haven't seen at least the two funds that I invest in um, as as a limited LP, as a small LP. Uh, you know, we, we see the deal flow coming. And it's probably better priced deal flow. Yeah, imagine. exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I kind of agree. But the only thing I would kind of add to that, you know, would be I think in general it feels like all the late stage activity has has been maybe paused is the right word to say. I'm not sure it's like completely dried up. Um, I, I would say it's paused. I think there's a measure of you know taking a another look at what we are investing in it, maybe doubling down on some of the existing investments or some add-ons in the late stage market. Um, and that just has to do a lot more with sort of the macro environment overall in terms of you look at the IPO activities more or less at standstill. So that whole sort of value chain in, in, in the late stage seems to have, have been paused. I do think it will start sort of unpausing and unclogging towards the end of the year or something along those lines in terms of time frames. Uh, but I think it's a little different in, in sort of the seed stage, maybe even Series A uh, area where I, I don't think that the downturn has been that severe, and especially with sort of this all the excitement around AI and what potentially, you know, pretend for all of us. I think that I think we may see a faster uptick in the early stages than in the late stages. Yeah, yeah. and at the late stages, uh, Jignesh, you know, there's, a, there's a deadlock situation, 
where public markets are putting a pressure on on large public companies so there's no m a happening here there um pe um uh world has been very disciplined right so they have a playbook uh, they have a model and they won't pay anything uh, beyond that whereas the founder if they are running a cash flow positive business they are saying i'm not selling my business at the at the multiple because they still remember 2021 right, right. So a couple more couple more years of this uh, i think the market is going to settle you yeah. know, maybe late this year early next year depends on you know what uh, happens in the macroeconomic uh, conditions right the interest rates and the inflation you know the elections are upon us next year so i think a, a lot of uncertainty um in, in the next at least 12 months or so yeah I'll go ahead, Jignesh. Oh, I, I totally agree with that. Yes. Yeah, I think there's this interesting thing happening with in the venture space, at least what I'm seeing in the early stage, in the early seed stages, a lot of the companies we're looking at, we're seeing great, great companies, great valuations. They haven't dropped, you know, nearly as much as obviously the late, later stages have, but, but good deals, good companies. And they can't get a lead investor. And I think a lot of the investors in venture right now that used to lead some of those deals have shifted over into the growth stage and into those companies, to your point, Manoj, where they don't have as much cash flow to sustain themselves and they have to raise around. They're kind of forced to. But then these investors are getting it at a steep discount. It's like they're on clearance and they can sort of force these very low valuations on uh, companies that are let's say a little bit further along than than the seed or series a stage and so i'm seeing a lot of that happening which is which is you know good for them but the companies that do have enough cash flow to sustain which for us like what we keep telling our portfolio companies is you should have 18 to 24 months and if they have that then they probably aren't gonna do a round that isn't at the terms they want and and eventually it's going to sort of equalize. But unfortunately, that means there's not a lot of, not as many dollars going into the early seed stage deals because they feel like they're getting this massive discount on slightly later stage deals or growth stage deals that, you know, just are appearing cheaper relative to the risk, risk return. Right. Yeah. right. And if you, if you have a good investor, it's all about uh, expectations management. If you have a good investor and a good, you know, uh, founding team or the management team, um, they can come to realize that look, the the it's not 2021. At the same time, sky is not falling, right? Let's just try to uh, adjust the valuation and get the money if the company does need money, right? I'm seeing some some of the solid companies where the product market fit has been proven. The company has escape velocity, but company just didn't raise money in 2021, right? Where the, where the investors are just resetting the price. Um, not not taking advantage of the portfolio company, but they're slightly resetting the the price, and which is good for both the entrepreneur, the company, as well as for the investor. Everybody feels good, and uh, they focus on building the company versus uh, going around in this uh, economic times and raising raising money because it's a distraction for the team, right? Totally. To try to raise money, and it's easier for them when they when you sort of reset their cap table. It's easier for them to hit their growth targets and exactly. and, and and have a successful outcome exit in the end of the day. Everybody wins. Everybody wins, exactly. Um, so one of the things I was going to mention when you were just talking about product market fit, uh, Manoj, is we see a lot of founders who want to raise a ton of money, but they really don't need to. Um, like they want to raise two million bucks, they really only need to raise like five hundred k or less. And um, and and I think 
one thing I just want to point out to the audience of founders that are listening to this is that you should only raise what you need to get to that next point of traction. Um, because the, the way that the valuations are depressed right now, you're going to be giving away so much more of your company for money that you don't need and you're not even going to spend per se, or, or you're not going to get value out of spending in the next you know, 12 to 24 months. Uh, I, think a great, I think that's great guidance in terms of you know, raise only what you need. Um, I, you know, just my personal, you know, experience there was, you have a little bit more control over how much you want to raise, you know, in, in seed rounds, because you typically have multiple parties, multiple angels, and multiple sort of syndicates kind of participating, and kind of decide you can decide sort of how big the round is. There's going to be multiple parties making it up anyway, and you know, that's exactly how I thought about it when we raised our seed round was, you know, what do we need to kind of get to the next sort of inflection point, which we felt was about 24 months away. How much? Are we going to spend? Uh, we ran the business fairly, fairly cash flow break even. We didn't really have a lot of burn to cover, but we wanted to have enough, you know, um, in the war chest to invest. But it changed a little bit, I think, once you start looking at sort of a Series A style round or, or a growth round from a private equity company. I think in addition to sort of what you need, you then have to align with your investors' preferences also. And what I found out, you know, depending on who I spoke with. You know, they may have some minimum check sizes that they have to write because they can only invest so much in, in so many companies. And sometimes those check sizes were too big for me because I didn't need that much money. I did not want that much dilution. Or they needed certain exactly. you know, minimum ownership requirements uh, in terms of how much stake they have in the game. So I think at, at later stages, you kind of have to sort of align what you need with you know, your investors' preferences in terms of the size of checks that they prefer to write. And Jignesh, remind me, did you raise another round after that seed round or did you raise that seed round and basically go use that to get to profitability and then exit? Yeah, we were kind of on the path to raise a growth round. Um, you know, we were kind of past, well past product market fit. We, in fact, we we're beginning to see some repeatability in the, in the sales and marketing motion. So I actually started actively talking to you know growth stage investors some vcs some sort of in the pe you know in the pe category um but at the same time i also approached our partner blackhawk network which was which is a leader in global leader in the gift card space um to see if they would be interested in participating in that growth round and and that conversation very quickly went from an investment to an m a and it was a really good fit. So we ended up exiting um, to Blackhawk in 2021. But the discussion started with, you know, investing in a growth round. Um, and I think that's a nice foray into like, should you raise venture money at all? Right? <laughs> when yeah. is the right time? Um, and by venture, I mean, you know, I, I think seed rounds, sometimes there's this really nice place for seed rounds for angel investors and syndicates. It's a lot of how we got our start at K Street. Obviously, that's how we invested in both of your companies. Um, and, and you know, I think that kind of allows you to figure out what you want to set the terms as, and you don't really have to give away a board seat necessarily. You sort of have a lot more control and you have a lot more control of your destiny if you end up realizing that you don't have venture, you know, like really venture growth, which is which would only make sense if you were going to raise a venture capital round later. Um, and I guess, Jignesh, did you think, um, I guess I'll ask both of you in your prior companies too, Manoj, did you think you were going to have venture venture like growth and 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 start sort of 
thought you were on that path and then realized, oh, maybe it's, it's great growth and it's very profitable growth. And so maybe there's a different path there to take from a funding perspective. It was sort of something we were debating. Uh, to give you some context, you know, I would say you know, we bootstrapped for about three years. Um, you know, we grew very fast during those three years also, but very, very small numbers. So it's kind of, it's okay to kind of understand that crash trajectory. But kind of 2018, we really kind of felt like we hit product market fit. You know, those repeat purchases, word of mouth, all of those things happening. Early salespeople were, were beginning to kind of make the numbers. And so the next two years, we were kind of focused on the sales motion. Uh, and we were averaging about 80, 90% year over year growth in those three years. So kind of, we were right at the cusp of what I think is venture, you know, most venture. venture land, right? You, you want to be at least minimum 100% year over year, or you want to be able to get to that you know, very quickly after you take the money. Um, and so we were open to sort of a VC style play. You know, I, I definitely felt the market was big enough uh, and had lots of different avenues that we could potentially go down to, to sustain that kind of growth. Uh, but we also, you know, had very good unit economics. So we were able to run the business pretty, pretty break even. And so it was interesting for me to learn, you know, there's a whole set of PE firms that focus on this lower bid market they are looking to invest on a minority basis in fast growth companies, especially in the SaaS space. Uh, and we got a lot of that interest inbound. And so I kind of started looking at, at them as well. And there is a distinct flavor to each approach. I and mean, they blend sometimes, but um, I felt like we did not necessarily have to take the significant ex execution risk of growing at 120, 130, 140 year over year we could grow much more confidently at 70, 80, which would be a better fit for a PE style investment than a VC style investment. But it was a bit of a debate to be honest, it wasn't a clear answer. Um, uh, but we ultimately decided that we wanna be a little bit more cautious and have a little bit more confidence in that 70, 80% growth and kind of swing for the fences and try and like double, triple every year. Yeah, yeah, I think that's such an important thing to share because a, a lot of people think when they start their company, they're on the venture track and there's no other answer. There's no way out, you know, there's no other option. And, and in a lot of cases there are better options. So I don't, I don't know, Manoj, if you have any. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I think the amount of money that you raise and who do you raise that money from, um, you know, it depends on multiple factor, um, you know, the market that you're playing in um, and the, the stage of the uh, development of, of the company, right? And uh, what's the aspirations, right? The founder's goal, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, and th there are certain companies, certain markets where no matter how much money you put, you know, the, the market size is just just so much. Like my uh, SaaS company in the education space, um, you know, the market was 4,000 universities. We were focused in the US, right? So there was no need for us to go and raise tens of millions of dollars, right? Uh, we knew... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, this is, a, this is a small cap, if you will, right, in, in the private world. It's a small cap company, some strategic is going to buy that business. Whereas my uh, third company, Circleback, where the market size was huge. We were trying to solve everybody's problem, like like LinkedIn. Um, there, we raised $30 million. And when we talked to Sequoia, um, you know, tr trying to raise the next round, uh, their comment was, like, this company needs $300 million before you even think about first dollar of revenue and that's what you see in facebook twitter linkedin instagram of the world they put hundreds of millions of dollars in those companies 
to get enough consumers on the uh, product on the platform for them to start generating the ad dollars, right? Or figuring out like what is the revenue model for that. I think it, a lot of this depends upon what kind of company are you building, mm-hmm. um, and in what market are you playing it. You know, like this company that I'm running right now, Sales Intel, in a huge market, but we don't need a ton of capital. We don't need hundred million dollars to you know get the business to cash flow positive or even build a billion dollar value, uh, because the market is huge, the product market uh, fit has been proven, right? Yep. Uh, not by us, but even our predecessors. So it's a very mature market where we are bringing um, the quality, we are bringing the innovation. Um, and as a result of that, we are growing with a very capital efficient way um, because of the SaaS payment model where we pay, you know, we collect money upfront and amortize over or recognize over the next 12 months, you're able to finance a lot of growth in house, right? Um, and in terms of PE versus VC, I think they, they both have different playbooks. Um, uh, VCs will will look for your 10x return, right? 12x, 15x, 20x return, um, and they'll come in early. Whereas PE guys, they'll come in a little later when you have proven out the unit economics, and you know they're happy with 3x returns. Like I talked to some of the PE guys, it's like, look, if we get our 3x solid return uh, yeah. across our fund, we are very happy, right? But the downside is protected because they're investing in companies that are cash flow positive, they know they can come in, put the playbook in, in place and um, increase the margin and profitability. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess um, maybe we can switch gears and talk a little bit about uh, how, how to raise, you know, how to raise money or or how, do you, how you would suggest raising money in this environment today. And, and I'm referring to companies that are kind of like what you were talking about, Manoj, like most of our audience is investors and founders who have big markets, they're tech companies, they're, they potentially are highly scalable and potentially could have uh, venture returns, but we may not know yet because they're early stage and they may choose a different path, right? And they may have different economics in the next 12 months. Um, but right. yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you, if I had to start a company right now, here's what I would do. I'll raise no money. <laughs> I'll raise no Let, Let's assume that I have a full-time job. I'm just going, <clears throat> I have a 12 months of runway <clears throat> where the family life is not going to get impacted. I will raise no money, bootstrap the company to get your MVP and then get couple customers, right? Um, and then go raise money from your friends, family. And, you know, they say your angel money comes from friends, family and fools <laughs> who just trust, who believe in you and uh, give you the check fully knowing that that uh, money um, you know th- that investment is very risky, and then from there, um, you know, you, you try to uh, get the get the product market fit at scale. And uh, I think there are different definitions of product market fit. To me, it's about can someone other than founder make sale consistently for the product that you have built, right? That that's my definition. If someone other than me in my company from the founder can go sell the product repeatedly uh, in, in a defined customer base, then I know there's a product market fit. Then I can hire the second, third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the, and the tenth salesperson. Um, but but uh, to, to go back to, to you know how to raise money, I would raise no money to build the product because it's so cost efficient um, to build a tech product and put it on AWS, right? 20 years ago, you had to buy servers. You had to do a lot of things that are available so readily today. Even five uh, years ago, it's, it's yeah, easier yeah. today. You know, it's so much has changed for founders yeah. that want to build things. 
Exactly, exactly. And with this, uh, you know, uh, generative AI coming in, so many of the models are just publicly available. Like if you're a so if you're a good programmer, you can, um, you know, put together some of these pieces and get your first MVP in place. And so, let's say you're a one to five million uh, ARR company, and you need to raise money, and you've got, let's say, I don't know, six months of runway, because this is yeah. the kind of scenario that we see most commonly. You know, you if if you are if you are um, cash flow positive in that let's just say four or five million dollars ARR, I will I would if you have six months of cash if you can if you can make that six months last longer by turning off some of the burn, then that's what I would do, um, uh, because it's it's hard to raise because you're a tweener right, um, you're too big for the angel, uh, but you're too small for the for the for some of the venture groups. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for us at Case Street, that's sort of like we're that weird in-betweener investor who looks for companies kind of right in that space where they have product to market fit. Maybe not a lot, but they've just started to see it. They have revenue. They may not be cash positive yet, but they have good enough economics that they could be cash positive if they had to be, right? Like, um, and But it is tough. I don't think there's a lot of investors in the space that look at deals like that, to your point. It's kind of a middle tranche that there's not a lot of there's not a lot of funding in that tranche in, in any time, let alone especially now. Exactly. Right. And you know, there are groups like K, K Street, you know, that they fill in that gap, right? Um, and then there is, uh, you know, if, if the unit economics of the business are good and um, the management team is proven, there's venture debt, right? The uh, equity is not the only instrument available to the entrepreneurs. Yes, the ca cost of capital is high, uh, but uh, you can get you know 12, 13% interest, 12% warrant coverage, and um, you know get very light covenants money for next let's just call it 12 to 18 months. I'm just curious if either of you are he hearing of or know of companies that have gotten venture debt recently since the SVB situation because I haven't and I don't know I, you know all the banks are saying they're still doing it but I don't know I haven't seen any companies get issued new venture debt in the past three months. Yeah, very, very few. Uh, Page, you know, obviously WTI, right? From our our past experience with with them, right. our, our company. So they are still writing checks. Um, you know, uh, uh, then some of the PE groups they have a venture uh, debt arm, mm -hmm. and they are writing the checks. Um, and their their underwriting thesis is that all right, we're going to write the check. We get closer to the company. They have already proven the unit economics, and in over 12 to 18 months, we will go and put the big round, right? So it, it's almost like a um, a ticket for them to 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 play in the bigger round. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to bring that up because I think you know that this always was an option that that I think founders should consider. It just seems like right now it's a little bit tougher to get to find to get a, yeah. to get approved. Just another yeah. option to think about if you are in that one to five zone. If you're, you're not ready, or if the market is not ready, or maybe the preparation isn't there, so you do have to be prepared uh, to raise a round, especially a growth round. Uh, and and all the, the other alternative is go back to your angel investors and see if uh, they want to come in for another round. If you if you remember, um, you guys are ready to kind of invest again. Yep. Um, and there were several uh, on, on ribbon seed investor list who were willing to come in and you know do another tranche on a sort of a higher valuation basis and all those things, but still on a sort of an angel basis to 
to so that you know we had a longer run before we kind of raised maybe a VC style round. So yeah, this is kind of where all those uh, founder investor relationships kind of come into play. Why you know you want to have a great relationship with every investor and keep them posted and updated as you progress. Because uh, often you may have to go back and and see if they want to you know do an add-on. Exactly. Yeah. And we do a lot of that at Key Street. I mean, that, that's like our favorite kind of deal. If a company we invested in is doing well and we can see the traction and we can see the economics and, you know, we always want to keep our pro rata if they're going to raise another round. And if they can raise the round just from that group of people, then, you know, it's probably even better for them in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, and I, and I guess the other thing I would say, too, for those super early founders that are maybe pre-product to market fit or they're just in pilot stage or whatever, and they're trying to raise money to get, get the thing off the ground, there's other options out there for you. Like there's tons of government funding you can get. There's lots of state-run accelerators, depending on what, what state you're in, what part of the country. There's also a lot of grants out there. There's obviously, if you're doing something that has heavy infrastructure costs, it's not what we invest in, but... There's SBR grants for that, huge SBR, SBIR grants. And there's, um, what's the other one I was thinking of? National Science Foundation will invest up to $2 million without taking any, any equity at all. Um, so I would just, just remind founders that you can literally do a Google search and find these things. They're not uh, a big secret. Um, and they, they are often a great way to get, get off the ground if you don't have the cash or you, or you can't dedicate time to building the thing on the side while you have a full-time job or whatever, and you really need some startup capital, that's definitely an option. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Especially if uh, you're working on a product that has um, a market in the federal space, right, or, or the government space. Many times I've seen um, uh, entrepreneurs building companies by providing the services to the government and keeping on uh, to the IP, right? Uh, a friend of mine who built uh, a security company like that and had a hundred million dollar exit. So mm. think about government funding the product development in exchange for them having a preferable um, you know, licensing arrangement. And uh, now you haven't diluted your business. Exactly. Any other thoughts on like how or where to raise? Uh, or from who to raise money from at the at these sort of let's say seed and early growth phases of a of a tech company's life cycle. Yeah. Maybe on, maybe a little bit on the how, you know. I think especially if you're going to go down the the route of raising from VCs or, or PEs, you know, the scenario gave you know someone having between one to five in recurring revenue, maybe a six month runway. And I would hope that that founder or the team of founders has begun having discussions with potential investors at least 12 months ago, maybe ideally before that. Um, my experience was, you know, even though I was not actively raising, you know, I, I kind of started sort of the process almost two years before we even yeah. went out, just to start understanding who's out there, who should be talking to us, who should we be talking to. Uh, on all of it takes time. Uh, the other thing is, you know, most investors want to see, you know, a trajectory of your company, not a snapshot in time. Like, yep. so if you just approach them today and said, look, I've been doing the great and so on, and that is the only thing they know about you, that is valuable, but, but you know, it's far more valuable and confident-inspiring if they've tracked you 
over the last 18 months, two years, and kind of seeing, you know, several points that kind of make up your trajectory, and, and that kind of inspires a lot more confidence. And that's just something I learned, uh, you know, working through this journey is it's better to kind of engage with potential investors well in advance of actually starting to raise an active round. Yeah. yeah that also helps build a relationship, right? Because investors, they, they invest in people they trust. Yeah. Right? And now they've seen you over the last 12 months, 18 months. You know, just to add, add to that, um, you know, two, two more things. I think try to raise locally, you know, when you're so early. Um, you know, picking up uh, a plane ride to San Francisco, you know, to the Bay Area for, to raise half a million or a million and a half dollars is not going to serve you well. Um, <laughs> yep. And then the second is, you know, when you get slightly above uh, that, that seed round, um, you know, try to stay within the ecosystem, right? There are um, uh, investors who invest in SaaS companies, there are investors who invest in sales and marketing, like, you know, I'm, I'm LP in GTM fund, um, where uh, most of the LPs are from, they're the head of sales, head of marketing, head of revenue operations, and we invest in companies. Um, with that investment comes the expertise of the group, right? Mm -hmm. So um, getting the investment from people that know your ecosystem, know your domain, you know, brings not only money, but uh, you know, at times the recruiting becomes much easier. You know, you, you get so many introductions to your early customers. That's, that's invaluable. Yeah. I mean, I've seen so many mistakes where founders have got have taken investment from investors that don't have domain expertise in that type of deal or company or space at all. And then they take a board seat and then they have no idea what they're doing. They're giving terrible advice. The founder creates all kinds of governance issues and just don't let that be you. <laughs> Um, and, and, and also like, uh, I, I think I kind of said this earlier, but know how much you need to raise. Like I really, it's, it's frustrating to me as an investor, when I see a company that wants to raise too much or too little, it doesn't make sense with what they're trying to accomplish. And, you know, an investor doesn't want to put money in if they, if they're the only, you know, if they're only putting in 25% of the round they think you need, cause it's not going to work for you if you don't raise the other 75%. And, and if you, they can't figure out how to get that other 75% for you, they're probably not going to invest at all. Um, and um, and then the one last thing I would say is just like, uh, Jignesh, to your point about like knowing the future of what you're trying to do from a from a growth and metrics perspective, that is probably the most important thing that investors look at. And I think having a good projection that really shows that you've thought through that stuff and you understand it and you can back up your assumptions with you know data and information from what you've already done, there's that's a sort of like a home run to an investor. And it's very, very rare that at the early stage, we find a company that has that all figured out and, and mapped out. But when they do, it makes it very, very easy for us to write a check, a lot easier than if we have to make our own model and figure it all out for them. Um, so I would just I would just say that, have a tight data room. <laughs> um, I think that's almost everything. Are there any other, I guess, key takeaways or, or final advice to other founders or other C-stage investors, angels? Yeah, you know, one from my side is this, um, when times are tough, um, good companies are born <laughs> because there's so much, um, so, so less noise uh, out there. And um, uh, look at current time frame, right? People that you could not hire in 2021, they are reaching out to you, right? They're available. Um, uh, so the talent is available. Uh, and if you have a if you have a good idea, then investors are still out there, 
right? Yeah. Uh, but they're being a lot more selective in where to put their money. Um, so I think uh, the, the the message is both for the investors and for the founders is um, this is the time. This is not the time to hold back. It's the time to go start the new company. It's the time to put money um, at the reasonable terms, right? At uh, in, in the company that have that have promise, and we'll see winners come out of this recession just like we have seen winners come out of the last three recessions. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, it's the best time to be investing. Yep. Um, by by far, it's the perfect time. And then there's a lot of investors too that made a lot of money in the last two years, right? That a lot of people that sold companies made a lot of money, their own company, or they've made a lot of money off the other, you know, startups that they invested in that exited in the past two years, and they want to reinvest it in other great companies. So it is definitely out there. Um, and there's there is more. I think there's more money to be made and more great companies that are going to come out of this time period than people realize. 100%. Um, maybe I'll just leave with um, the audience with like you know, a couple of sort of data points. You know, once you start actively raising, especially, it can be a huge time suck, <laughs> major distraction. And if you are a founder who is in that one to five or even one to ten, you're probably still someone who wears multiple hats, it's probably running functions directly, and so on. And uh, you really have to be careful to balance the two uh, so that you're not sort of sacrificing day-to-day -day operational aspects of the business, you know, strategic aspects of the business in terms of keep growing the business while you're trying to raise the round. Yeah. Uh, it can be very easy to kind of get distracted. Um, so that will be sort of, you know, just, you know, something to watch out for. The second thing I would say, um, and this is true for, you know, um, either raising your growth round uh, or even maybe M&A is, Try and line up more than one good option. You know, That's nothing in dynamics like having two parties interested in investing in you or interested in acquiring you. It just dramatically changes everything in terms of your ability to understand you know, what's market, what's not market, your ability to negotiate more favorable terms. Um, having one good option is, is workable, but having two changes a lot of things. Or more, even, <laughs> if you can. Yeah, it really levels the playing field. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time and doing this. I think this will, this will really resonate with um, a lot of our audience that is out there trying to raise money or thinking about raising money and how they might want to go about doing it. Yeah. Our, our pleasure. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, thanks for having us. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks. <laughs>